Joseph stood in the middle of a marketplace, and a place he had never been before. And as he began to look around, people selling their wares, things he had never seen, who looked like no one he'd ever met. They were speaking a language that he couldn't even understand. He was tired, fatigued, he was scared, and he'd cry if he could, but he couldn't because the desert stand had drained any bit of energy and water from his body. If he stared too long at these people on the sides, he'd immediately be met a smart, uh, with a uh, smack on the back of his head or a yank on the rope that was tied around his hands. He noticed that the men he'd been with over the last several days were talking intently and it appeared that they're negotiating with a man holding a small money bag and he's flanked by several other very large men. And he's watched this negotiation back and forth. They nodded, they agreed, money exchanged hands, and he was untied. And immediately handed over to this man. And that moment, Joseph realized... I'm a slave. His next thought most likely was this. This is not how things were supposed to work out. We find the story of Joseph uh, written in the pages of Genesis chapter 37 through 47. Now, Wiles' legacy goes a lot further than that. This is where we see his life and, and really the bulk of what happened in this story. And it tells the story about a young man who learned at the tender age of 17 that, you know what, life's not fair. Not only is it not fair, it is far from predictable. Maybe you came in this morning and, and that's not news to you. But we live in a world that says that life should be fair, that you should get everything that you ever wanted. Uh, they put up these images and, and they say, well, this is exactly how things should go if you just do things just right. Uh, we see pictures of celebrities smiling and, uh, and, and as they're receiving their awards because everything worked out just perfect for, for them. And if they don't smile quite big enough in the picture, they'll Photoshop it so they do. Uh, we see them on their $20,000 a day yacht enjoying the good life because they worked hard and, and it all paid off. Uh, we see someone who takes that rise to fame and they enter the Hall of Fame and they say, we made it. But it doesn't always work out that way. And rarely do we ever see that celebrity after their star stops shining. Unless, of course, they're riding half naked on horseback down Fifth Avenue in Manhattan smoking a crack pipe. Then we do see that. But all the rest of it, it just fades. And we don't talk about those stories. We don't talk about the people who lost the World Series last year to my Boston Red Sox. We don't talk about them. We talk about the champions. We don't like stories that don't end up well, do we? We kind of, we watch it and, and, and we're like, ah. I don't know if anybody watches The Hunger Games. You ever watch that movie? I watched about 17 minutes of it. And I'll tell you why. Went and heard all about it. Went in and it was, it was pretty cool. And we're watching all this going on and everything's happening. And then my favorite character in the movie was this little girl named Rudy. She was like 12 years old, I think, something like that. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Rudy gets killed. If I spoil that for you, good. It's a dumb movie anyways. Um, 
literally, I looked at my wife. I go, we're out. Let's go. She goes, are you serious? I go, we're going. So we got up and left. I'm, like, I'm not watching this stupid thing. Little kids getting killed. I, I, I didn't want to be a part of it. I didn't want to see that. Or the Green Mile. Remember the Green Mile? Anybody else shed a tear over that one? Come on, let's be honest, fellas. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. We did. You see this like, no, 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 not you. You were supposed to survive or, or, or any other number of things. We see that and we're like, ah, I, want the, I want the Lifetime movie. You know, I want the happy after school movie where everything just works out great. I want to go back to Mr. Rogers. Everything's good. Trolley's there. Little Daniel the Lion. Everybody's there. Everybody, Daniel Tiger. Everybody's good. That's not life. But what about real life? And, and what about us? What happens when we're going down the road that we were promised and, and that we, we thought this was the right thing and a robot comes or a pothole or an avalanche? And, and maybe it's self-imposed. Maybe it's something we did. And we know we're guilty. We did it. But it comes. Or maybe it's something that just happened to us in life and we really thought that things were going to be a lot easier. Now, some choose to turn around and just go the opposite direction. Some choose to stop and hope that someone comes along just to clear up this mess just so I can get through. Some will look around and find a different road and say, you know what, this is just too hard. Find an easier one. Some will complain how rough it is, how tough it is, how bumpy it is, make them and everybody else on the journey with them miserable along the way. Some We'll see this roadblock, this avalanche, this pothole, this whatever it is, and say, you know what? Obviously, it's the will of God that I just stop here and go no further. I know the road extends long beyond this, but I'm just going to, I'm setting up camp here. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I'm done. Some will navigate the mess, find a way forward, no matter how bumpy it is, because they have a destination to get to. And this last group has something about them that's different. They have a goal. They have a dream. They have a promise. They have a hope. That the destination that they're headed toward has something they desire. That it's worth all the hassle and the setback and the frustration. They believe this, and this is a mature mindset, but it doesn't happen to a lot of us. They believe that the setback, the challenges, the hard pieces going on right now is part of their story. It's part of their journey. It, 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 they take the good with the bad, the ups with the downs, the pain with the joy, and they say, you know what? Yeah, I don't like this. Yeah, I've been going down this path, and I really did not see this coming. But this is part of my story. This is what's going to make me. This was intended. Let's look a little bit closer at the life of Joseph. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 37, uh, verses 1 through 9. But l- let me give you a little background. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, uh, he's a young man, 17 years old at the time that we meet him. He's the second youngest, so the 10th son of 12 sons of a guy named Jacob, who's also named Israel. His mother had died in childbirth to his younger brother, Benjamin. His family were a group of herdsmen uh, in agriculture. They lived in a land called Canaan, and he was the favorite son of his dad. Now, some of you think you're the favorite child. Some of you know your sibling is the favorite child. But probably your dad or your mom didn't go overboard like this. Where his dad took a coat of many colors, had it made specially for him, and all the boys are lined up at dinner, and he walks up and says, Here you go, Joseph, because you're my favorite. Didn't go over so well. He didn't have a lot of discernment in speaking his mind, which 
Sometimes 17-year-olds have that disconnect from here to here. Uh, he just kind of said what he was going to say, but let, let's catch it up. Genesis 37, 1 through 9. Let's, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, they're out, they're out with the flocks. His brothers do something wrong, comes back and tells dad. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we're binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheep rose up and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed going to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream. You think he would have learned his lesson here. And told his brothers and said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Basically saying, my, uh, my parents and then all of you guys, you're going to bow down to me. I, I just want to let you know, guys, there's going to come a day where everybody's going to bow to me. And, and I just want to throw that out there. Now, this is interesting because you say, why would you say that? You know, there's just some things you just shouldn't, shouldn't say. You know, husbands, your wife asks you certain things about her. You, you just shut up. You just, baby, I love you. So much. No, I'm not going to answer that. I'm taking the fifth. I'm backing away from that. Or, or perhaps your, your boss wants, he wants your real input. No, he does not. He wants you to say yes. That's really good. Or, or perhaps there's just something you just really want to get, and you should withhold, but you don't. And you find out that consequence. This was Joseph. But here's why. As I started to look at this, it became really interesting. Why would he come and say, I had a dream and I want to let you know about this. There's history to this. If we go back, Joseph's belief was because God was faithful in the past and because God had, uh, through generationally, had talked through dreams to his people. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 to 3, he came to his great-grandfather Abraham in a dream and said, I'm going to make you a great nation. Genesis chapter 26 through 24, his grandfather Isaac, God appeared to him in a dream and said, I will bless you and I will multiply your descendants. This is actually uh, actual renditions and uh, drawings of these people at this time uh, from Flannograph. Um, then he came to Jacob and he said in Genesis chapter 27, now, Jacob, his father, is a little bit different because he actually took this. It didn't catch God by surprise, but he took the birthright. And matter of fact, he wrestled with God to get another blessing. Uh, but God said, then people will serve you and bow to you. This is his blessing on his life. So by the time we get to Joseph, the idea of God appearing in a dream, he'd heard all these stories. He knew what had happened all the way down the line because they, they were oral tradition at this time. So he knew what had happened with his great-grandfather, with his grandfather, with his dad. So a dream? Of course. It was a continuation of a promise to the children of Abraham that they would rule and reign. So no wonder he's excited. Listen, does anybody come from a big family? Big family? Yeah? Okay, I've watched the Duggars. I don't know how they even keep the names straight. But if you have more than, you know, two or three kids, at some point you get lost in the mix. I am the dysfunctional middle child in my family. You know, you have the older brother. He's really good at math and he excels and all this. You have the sister who everybody loves. And then you. It's like Malcolm in the middle. It's just a bad deal. 
You're trying to find your place. What do I do? And how do I fit? And who am I? And okay, now imagine me number 10 of 12. I mean, uh, sorry, number 11 of 12. 10 older brothers. Number 11. He's like, well, he's the smart one. He's the good looking one. He's the, who am I? This dream solidified who he was. God gave him a destiny, gave him a purpose and said, listen, this is what I've intended. So of course he's excited. Of course he's excited. So he comes out and is like, guys, you're not going to believe this. I had a dream. Just like great grandpa and grandpa and dad, I had a dream. This is so cool. Let me tell you my dream. The interesting thing is, is that his brothers responded like a lot of people do to dreamers. Instead of saying, hey man, that's really cool. You may not want to share that a lot, but that's really cool. And I'm excited for you. Because that means that something special is going to happen in your life. No, no, no. Instead, they did what a lot of people do to dreamers. And if you're a dreamer, maybe you've seen this, where they get out there and they're like, let me just step on that a little bit. Let me grind that into the ground. And with it, you. What are you dreaming for, man? Who do you think you are? You're better than us. If God was going to give a revelation, he would have given it to Judah or Reuben. He's not giving it to you. The unbelief, instead of being excited for him, they saw it as a slam on them. But his dream was clearly given. God absolutely gave him this dream. But his brothers pushed back. Who are you? Now it says his dad kept these things in his heart. And he thought about them and he pondered them. Because he knew that God was speaking in a very clear way. Now the dream was clearly given, but the path was not. And this is the piece that gets a lot of us. Where God gives a dream or gives a calling and we know that this is it. We are so clear. But the path to get there, between here, the dream given and the dream revealed, there's a lot of stuff in between. Uh, let, me, let me give you an example. Uh, this is Chris Anderson. He, he's one of our, our pastors here. And Chris is an Iron Man. He will be able to say that for the rest of his life. And, and I literally, I try to drive his truck sometimes because it says 140, I think, point one on the back. It means that he completed an Ironman. Anybody who runs in marathons or anything, I can barely walk a 5K, but I like to drive the truck. It gives me like some street cred among that pe- the group of people. Chris did it. it. Took him 16 hours. I mean, he ground up and he is an Ironman. He can get a tattoo that says Ironman on it. I mean, he could wear the mask and he could be an Ironman. He's, that's awesome. And I remember as he was training for this, we, you know, we had talked a little bit. And, 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 and then, you know, finally he did it and he was training all the time. And I asked him, I asked him just recently, I said, hey, man, you have the medal. The dream was realized. But what was it along the way that was the hardest thing for you? He said, you know what, the finding the time to train, I didn't think it was going to be that intense. During, during the, the running part the, where I'm just, I just wanted to give up because of the pain. He says there was one point where he forgot he had legs. He just couldn't feel. He, just, he was running and just hurting so bad. He just wanted to quit. And there's a cool story how a guy came out of nowhere, massaged his leg back up and got him out there. Usually that's very awkward for another man to do, but there that was appropriate. Uh, got him back out there. And uh, then he, the 112-mile bike ride. Man. He's like, man, all these things. I didn't know that it was going to be that intense. I didn't know how my body would respond, but I didn't know that. But it was hard along the way. And we are often given the dream and the, uh, and the vision, but not the obstacles that are going to be placed in our way to test our faith and resolve. But also this, listen, I want you to hear this because it's going to come back later. And prepare us for the position or the circumstance that's waiting. The hardships. The challenges, the roadblocks, the, the, the potholes, the avalanche is preparing us for the position of circumstances waiting. But so often 
we want to run. We want to run across that finish line without ever running the race. We just want to get there, man. Dream given, dream revealed. Bam. Love this. But that's not the way it works. He had the dream, but he didn't see the adversity, Joseph. You see, let me just list these out. He experienced hatred right away from his own family. Genesis 37.4. He was beat up. You know the story. So he goes out to talk to his brothers. He finds them. His dad said, hey, I want you to go bring me a report. He shows up. They see his coat of many colors. They said, we're taking him down. He comes. and They say that they removed his coat from him. Let's just be honest. Anybody with younger brothers, you know. You don't remove anything gently from them. There's usually a kick, a punch, a nudge, whatever it is. Now, these guys hated him, and then they hated him some more. They beat the tar out of him. And then it says that they threw him in a pit. I believe they literally picked him up and said, how far can you drop? Yep, that far. Okay. They beat him up. He was beaten. Then he was turned into slavery. Then he was put into slavery. And then on top of that, why is being a slave? He says, you know what? I'm here. I'm going to do the best I can. Becomes the master. Becomes the second under the master of the house. Takes care of everything. Doing everything he can. And, and then Potiphar's wife slides in with her hoochie ways and says, come here. And he says, no, I refuse. And so he was slandered and then he was thrown in prison. And and while he's in prison, he still says, you know what? This is hard. This is difficult for me, but I'm still going to do my best. And he's blessed because he never quit using his giftedness. Matter of fact, the jailer said, the whole prison is under you. Now, does this fulfill his dream back here of his brothers bowing down before him and family and all that? No. But he still refused to believe that God had given up on him. Then he's abandoned. He's in jail. He reveals a vision to one of, uh, one of Pharaoh's servants. And, and, and the servant goes uh, and he says, listen, all I want you to do, God gave me the vision. Uh, God gave me the, the, the understanding of it. All I want you to do when you get out, remember me to Pharaoh. I got to get out of here, man. I didn't do anything wrong. The guy says, absolutely. Thank you so much. I'll see you later. Two years later, sitting in that filthy prison. Finally, he goes, Joseph. And the only reason he remembered Joseph was because it was going to make him look better in the eyes of uh, Pharaoh, his boss. And then the location. Now, think about this. He's over 200 miles from home. The people who were supposed to bow down were nowhere around. How could this dream ever work? Too often, here's what happens whenever we're thinking about a dream or a calling that God has given us. We overthink the circumstances. We overthink the right here and now. We think about, well, how, how, I don't know how this is going to work. And we spend all of our time trying to work out the details and logistics, especially if you're a planner. And I don't know how this is all going to work. And God, you gave me the dream, but I can't put all these pieces together. And he says, you're not supposed to. That's for me. Let me take care of that. But doesn't that happen when we get so frustrated we look say it's impossible? When in fact in Luke one thirty seven says that there's nothing that is impossible with God. But he realized something. How did he get through? He realized he was representing his God. He was representing his God. Genesis thirty nine nine, whenever Potiphar's wife approaches him, he says, Hey, wait a second, I can never do this. He goes, Potiphar has given me everything in his house. The only thing he hasn't given me is you because you're his wife. And then he makes a statement. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? No. Sin against God. 
This gives us a, a, an amazing, amazing picture into the mind of this young man who is saying, I get it. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's tough. But I have not given up on my God and I have not rejected him. Later on, in chapter 40, verse 8 and 41, verse 16, he's interpreting dreams and he makes it very clear. He says, here's the deal. This dream, I'm not the one interpreting it. It's God who's giving it to me. So just so you know, he gets the credit. But I want to tell you this. He knew and clung to the faithfulness of God in the past. That for 13 generations before when Noah... Uh, and the story of God's deliverance and the establishment of Abraham and the rescue of Isaac and keeping his father alive despite all his dad's flaws. He's sitting in slavery, says, God will not give up on me. I will not give up on God. And his, he also realized this, and this is very interesting for such a young guy. His obedience and endurance affected more than himself. Chapter 41, verse 57 uh, in, and also in 45, verse 5, it's very interesting what it says because he looked around, and a lot of times, I think this is, this is the piece where I get hung up, and, and maybe you do too. Um, we're going through life, and, and we think that our life plan is about us. And we think that, our life, that the things that are happening in our life and what, what we're called to do is about us. And it is, but that's only a piece of the picture. There's other people who are going to be affected. There are other people by my decisions and your decisions to follow or not follow or to quit or to go or to stand up or to sit down are going to be affected by those decisions. By our, our decisions to sin or to refuse sin, by our, our decision to, to embrace or, or to reject, all of those things affect other people. In 41, in, uh, uh, sorry, in chapter, uh, uh, excuse me here. Whenever he's talking about, whenever he's talking about in forty-one fifty-seven, he says uh, that the people. It says that the people all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. Let me tell you this. Now here's what happened. So he gets out of prison, comes before Pharaoh, and he tells Pharaoh the dream. He says, "Okay, here's your dream. It's going to get really bad around here for seven years. There's going to be a drought. It's going to be a famine. It's going to be terrible. But." Before that, there's going to be seven years of harvesting, and it's going to be abundant, and you're going to have more food than you know what to do with. You better set someone up who can set the stage for this deal. Pharaoh takes off his ring goes, obviously, you're the man for the job. So Joseph set about the country, and he started getting storehouses, bringing all the food in for seven years, gathered and gathered and gathered. And literally, it says there's a famine over all the earth. But because of Joseph's faithfulness, because of Joseph's refusal to give up on this dream, his refusal to give up on the calling of God, all these people were saved. And then chapter 45, it goes on. His brothers come down because they're in Canaan 200 miles away, but still affected by this incredible, incredible famine. And his brothers come down. They're just looking for some food. The father had heard that there was food in Egypt. And so they came and they said, we're trying to get food. Well, Joseph recognizes them. And if you know the story, they go back and forth and back and forth. And finally, they come before him and they're bowing on their knees before him. Dream realized bowing on their knees before him, and he reveals himself. And they begin to weep and beg, and they were scared. And this is what he says, chapter 45, verse 5. Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. All the distractions, all the detours, all the problems, the imprisonment, the beating, the slavery, he said all that was to fulfill God's will. You're like, that doesn't make sense. He must have done something wrong. No. No. He says, all of that 
for this. Because if I didn't go through all of that, I would not be in the position to help you and all these other people today. He had to make a decision he could give up or go forward. To submit to the circumstances or stand in spite of them. To grieve his lot in life or to own his life. The saying, you can get bitter or you can get better. If we get better instead of getting bitter, what we have just done is an amazing thing. We have positioned ourselves so that as we are building ourselves as God has intended and as he has built us uniquely and we are bettering who we are as a child of God with the skills and the talents we have, whenever that position does come or that opportunity where God says, now is the opportunity that I've been waiting for you from that whole time I promised it right now, now you're prepared. But if we get bitter... And we just fold our arms and we cross up and we get mad and we're upset at everybody. All we have when we get there is a bad attitude and a lot of regret. And he looked at his circumstance and said, this is only for a while. He learned how to control his tongue, which is a need. In Potiphar's house, he learned the language, how to manage a household, budget, inventory, and jail. He learned people skills and the language even more. Gave him a heart for the people. But it all came down to how he believed about God and life. He believed that God was the sustainer and the controller and his belief and trust in God that God would see him through no matter what if he would just stay faithful. We come out of an engaged missions week and, and we walk in, we walk in uh, or, or into, you know, now we're like, okay, what now? Maybe God moved your heart through the messages or you saw something like, man, I'd love to be a part of that. Uh, or perhaps maybe you, you go back 20 years, 30 years. Uh, maybe you're on campus somewhere, or you're at a camp, or, or there's something moves you as a teenager, or as a young adult, or, or, or maybe it's been a few weeks, whatever it is. But there was something that just lit you. There was something that just invigorated. When you thought about it, you're like, man, God is calling me to this. I know that I know that I know that I know. This is what I'm supposed to do. And man, you couldn't think about it enough. You got online, you read books, you, you talked about it, you told people, I'm doing this. You stood in front of the church. You stood around the campfire. I'm doing this. I am called to this. I know. But perhaps you're sitting here and trying to figure out where it went. What happened? You were so sure back then, and we, we set it aside and said, that's just youthful ignorance. I was just excited. But if we sat down long enough and listened, we'd probably still hear that voice that's calling us to that thing. I called you. I didn't give up on you. And so we asked, was it even real? But if God has called us to something and he has put a dream in our heart and put a calling under our life, and you may say, no, that was just unrealistic. That's crazy. I was just a crazy kid thinking. But perhaps God was saying, I want you to do something that's so big, so far, so beyond you that only I can get credit for it. But yet we gave up on it because life doesn't work that way. Or so we were told. Or someone squashed it. Or, or whatever it is. Or we just got frustrated. This morning I want you to know that while that was on the mantle of your life for that time and that place and you walked in and you showed everybody that's where I'm going, that's what I'm doing. And maybe you did pursue it for a while. And, and maybe it wasn't necessarily a ministry call. Maybe it was just something you knew that you were called to do. You were made for it. Maybe it's been taken off. It's in some, one of the back rooms of your life in a storage box somewhere. It's still there. Maybe you're like, but I'm not qualified. I've messed up. I blew it. That was my shot. And so now we're on the side of the road like the person who set up house on the side because they saw the avalanche and they said, 
guesses as far as I go. Please understand this morning that dream is not dead and God has not given up on you and you are not called to sit there and settle and wait for someone to come and pat you on the back and move you forward because the God of the universe has called you to do great and mighty things on his behalf. He says we are called with a holy calling and we have to stand up and embrace what he has called us to do. And yeah, you're right. There's things that, man, we've messed up or whatever. But he says, I bring forgiveness, I bring redemption, I renew and I will move you forward. Or perhaps you say, but I've got so sidetracked by all the other stuff. God's not concerned with that. God's not concerned with that. He says, I want you and watch what I'll do. I could take a 17-year-old boy and make him second in all the land of Egypt and he will save an entire nation and nations around it in his own family. I can use you as well. We have a choice to give up or to own our life. This is the life that you were given. The good, the bad, and the indifferent. So how does this work? How does this work in, in our daily life? I, I want to jump to, to someone who, who did mess up a little bit. His name is Paul. I, I guess a lot. He was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Roman citizen, had all the advantages, uh, trained, uh, trained at the feet of an esteemed rabbi. He's a Pharisee, uh, which means he was an expert in the law and the Torah, zealous for the things of God. When, he came, when you came in, he sat on the front row. He was the front row guy. He was the guy who knew all the scripture. He was the one who you would go to and say, listen, I'm just having a question about this. He was the head deacon, the head elder. He was the guy who baptized, the guy who greeted at the door, the guy who parked the cars. He was all those in one. He was the guy. He was on the fast track in religious circles. He was coming up. But in Acts chapter 26, and if you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to turn there with me. Something happened. He's walking down the road one day. And he's going to persecute this, this new sect, the, the, these people who are standing up against his God. The ones who are trying to detract and trying to take away from the name of, of Jehovah. And, and he's going to persecute him and throw him in jail. And then a light from heaven knocks him to the ground. And a voice says this. Acts 26, 20, 16. But rise and stand up to your feet, for I have prepared you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant. And witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. To open their eyes so they may turn darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. And place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In a moment. And now preceding that. Jesus Christ made it very clear. You're the one who is fighting me. You're making terrible decisions. You thought you were doing what's right, but you are fighting against me, the God of the universe. You are persecuting and killing people that I've ordained. He had messed up. And yet God looks at him and he says, today I'm going to use you. Your life's about to do a 180. You're going to be my mouthpiece. The mouthpiece of God to affect not just countries and people, but generations and millennia. I'm going to send you with a message that is so powerful that 2,000 plus years later, they'll still be speaking your name and talking about you. Pretty good deal. But he wasn't told about the challenges that would come. It was a calling. Galatians in 1.17 and other places, he was delayed constantly. He wanted to go, wanted to do, but he kept being delayed. He had to wait years and years, some say even three, three plus years, that he had to wait just to even get out there and get to work because God wanted to deal with him on some things. Acts 16.6 6 says that he was detoured. He wanted to go, God, I know I'm called here. And God says, no, but my heart is for that. I know that's the desire of your heart, but that's not the desire of mine. And he was detoured. He was imprisoned. Uh, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 
24 through 28. You talk about a guy who had a life imprisoned, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, rejected, robbed, and persecuted. Pretty sweet resume, right? Like you put it out there. I, I've been all these things and I'm fully qualified to be your pastor. And he's bitten by a snake. That's later on. But that, all of these things. Why would you keep going? He had a, he had a cush life. He had, it was sweet. Everywhere he went, people got out of his way. He had the best seat whenever he walked in a place. He was convinced that God himself listened to his prayers. Stop there. Shh, Paul's praying. Saul at the time. Saul's praying. Let's listen. Here's why Paul kept going. <clears throat> First, he knew he was called by God. It was a clear and it was a concise call. He knew. I am called by God to this thing. He also knew it was not about his comfort, his notoriety, his reputation or convenience. It was about knowing and revealing Christ. He went to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, and here's what he says to him. I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't care if you ever know my name. I don't care if you ever speak my name again. I don't care if anybody ever says the name of Paul again, as long as you know Christ and Christ crucified. And you go throughout scripture in Galatians 6, 14. Where he, only, he said, I want to only want to boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus, uh, Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. See, this is the piece. So many times we think that we're supposed to be climbing a ladder. If God, if God called us to dream and he wants us to be blessed, that, that means that we're going to have affluence and we're going to have people like us and we're going to be able to climb certain ladders and the status will grow when in fact Paul seemed to be going down. And he said, in my weakness will be known and... And this is my lot. And it's not, I, mean, I, don't, I rejoice in this. Why? Because I know that he has called me to something far beyond what I could ever be a part of. On my own. He realized that the purpose of God's creation of mankind is that God's glory is displayed. And that mankind delights in God. And he believed that God would never abandon him. And he refused to abandon God. He asked, you know, who will separate us from the love of God? Such tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine. Uh, our sword, as is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says that God will never leave him or forsake him. Why would he keep going? Because he knew that he was called and he knew who he was called to. So maybe you've been given a vision. Maybe you've been given a calling. And, and maybe things haven't gone right. Or maybe it's just being birthed in you right now and you're scared. Because you're looking forward. You're like, I have no idea how that's going to go down. And that scares me to death. And God says, the circumstances are mine. I know you feel very limited, but the circumstances are mine. Let me work that out. And then we hit that first roadblock. Say, oh, maybe I'm on the wrong path. Remember, God did not call us to a life of ease. He called us to a life of contentment in him regardless of our circumstance. And you and I, we have received promises and callings from God. In 2 Timothy 1, 8 uh, through 10, they talk, he's, uh, again, he's talking to Timothy. And he tells him that we have been called with a holy calling to represent him. This is the most powerful thing you could do. You could be called to be the CEO, the president. You could be called uh, to be the principal. You could be called to be the foreman. You could be called to be any of these things. But none of it trumps the holy calling that we have been called in Jesus Christ to be faithful to him. To allow others to know him by the way that we live our lives and also by what we say out of our mouths. We've also been promised the everlasting life if we give our life to him. And then also in Matthew 28, 20, that he will see us through. He says, I'm not going to leave you. I have you here. I will always be with you. You see, so many times we're waiting for uh, something new and something that, that excites us. 
or, or maybe we're waiting for something. Uh, hey, God, I just want to be used. And perhaps he's already called us to that. You see, the call of Paul is interesting because this is, Paul's, this is what Paul is supposed to be doing all along. This wasn't a new call. But Paul got blinded by a lot of other things that just invaded his life. Job. Religion. Got blinded by culture. Friends, family said, that's the path, man. That's the path. Instead of sitting and saying, God, what do you desire for me in my life? What do you want, God? I'm in. I'm all in. I will leave all that behind. And he did. But God, I had to make it so incredibly clear. And it's not too late for that dream to happen. It's not too late for that calling to be walked out. No matter what has happened, no matter the baggage, no matter where you've come from, understand this. The calling is alive and well. It's in that back room. It's back there. But it's still in your house. And perhaps God's calling you to go start searching and saying, God, what do you have for me? But six, seven years ago, uh, I was in Nairobi, Kenya, and, and I'd taken a group there. And I had a woman who was on the trip, and she was 81 years old at the time. And not the sweetest woman you've ever met. Let me just be clear. And so we're on the trip, and, uh, and she's griping and complaining. It got to the crescendo whenever she said, why are we stopping to look at that stupid giraffe? I can see it in the zoo. I said, man, we're in Africa, and that giraffe is on the side of the road. It's pretty cool. Why are you here? She got quiet and she said, I'll tell you why I'm here. When I was five years old, I was in a vacation Bible school, and I remember God speaking so clearly that I was supposed to be a missionary to Africa. By the time I was 15, I'd kind of set it aside because I was pursuing education and, and I just wanted to do my things. And then I got married young and I had children. I never fulfilled that call. Today, I'm fulfilling the call to be a missionary in Africa at 81 years old. I let her off the hook. Uh, Understand this, that call in your life, if we're willing to resubmit our lives to him, God says, I will use it. But you've got to own your life, the good and the bad, and say, no matter what happens, I will give this back to you. I take it from you as a steward, and I will use it. Believe that God is faithful to the calling he's given you, and make his, his glory your greatest desire. And God has put in you something special. God has put in something, and, and it may seem just so ridiculous and so far outside the box that you're like, I don't even know how this is going to work. You don't have to. But I want you to know this morning this, that if God has put it in your heart, he's already worked out how it's going to go. And it may not be a smooth path, may not be an easy path, and it may not even make sense in how you're going to get there. But if we are faithful to him and faithful to his call, and every step of the way we seek to bring him glory, and we find our contentment in him, and we step closer and say, God, I don't get this, I don't get this, instead of pushing away say, God, I don't get you, I don't get you. He says, I will see you through to the end. As Joseph stood before his brothers and they're all bowing before him, let's just be honest. He probably laughed a little bit. There had to be something. It's like, yep, told you. But in the next moment, he realized that I was put here for a plan and purpose, not just to see my brothers bow before me, but because God had a plan for my life. And I'm telling you this morning this. God has called you to do something specific. God has called you, all of us, to do general things, honoring him and, and doing everything. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. We're even told whether, therefore, you eat or drink or whatsoever you do. All the glory of God. So how we live our life, do it with fervor, do it with passion, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it stinks right now, even if things have been upset. Say, God, I don't get it, but I'm giving it to you. And that may mean that we have to have a heart change because we've been bitter against God or against other people. We're pointing at other people. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. No. Perhaps it's exactly how it's supposed to be. And maybe there are mistakes that you made. Forgiveness, redemption, move on. The guilt and the lies and the shame that the enemy is trying to bind you down on. Why? Because he wants to ruin you and he wants to ruin those people that you're supposed to impact. But it's time for us as Christians to stand up and say, done. 
God, I resubmit. I give you my life. Today, I am all in. I refuse that. I accept you. Where are we going? But it's going to take bravery. It may mean a life change. It may be keep going on the path you're going just with more fervor. But so many folks just keep stepping back. But, but, but. Howard Hendricks said this. In the midst of, gen- uh, he's a great teacher. He's, uh, in the midst of a generation of screaming for answers, Christians are stuttering. On what? That God is faithful, that he has called us and that he will redeem us? I believe this word. And I believe that this Bible is true. And I believe every word in it. And I believe that the God of it will hold us through. And I don't know who's waiting for you today. At the end of that dream being realized, those people who have been counting on you to share the gospel or to step in to impact their life. I know God is. And even if you get to the end, you say, but there's no fireworks. It's okay. You were faithful. And in the end, when we stand before him, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. There's your fireworks. But the calling has not left you. The dream that God has planted deep in your heart that maybe feels like it's long gone, it's not gone. It's just in a room somewhere. This morning, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just for a second. And, and this is it. I don't know your story personally. I really don't. But I know you have one. And maybe you are living the dream. Maybe you are walking that out. Maybe you're just fully engaged. Fantastic. Keep going. Don't quit. Please don't quit. But maybe you set the dream aside some time ago because it was too hard or you got distracted or you didn't feel worthy. This morning, maybe this is the opportunity for you to say, God, I want you to rebirth that in my life. Or perhaps you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've never given your life to him. You've never given him full control. But you want to have a life that is purpose and meaning. He promises he'll give it to you. This is your opportunity as well. I'd ask that you'd ask God today and tomorrow and the next day, God, just reveal to me what do you desire and I'll do it. I'm going to pray. And maybe not this moment that you can take and you can just before God say, God, I don't know what it means. But I do. I, I, want, the, I want everything that you've desired for me. The good, the bad, and the joy, and the pain. Father, we come to you and we thank you.